Once again, welcome to Life Point. Do me a favor, grab out your Bibles. You could go ahead and turn it over to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be there in just a bit. And then you could also mark 1 Peter chapter 2. Ephesians 2, 1 Peter chapter 2. Also in your bulletins, you'll uh, have noticed that you received a follow-along notes that will help you as we journey through the message today. Well, obviously, this morning we're finishing up our three-week series that has been entitled At the Movies. In this series, we've been looking at some of the popular movies of this recent year, and we've been using them as a backdrop to some fun and fundamental truths that we find in the Word of God. I've been clarifying this each week, but for clarity, we are not preaching from the movies, but rather using them in regard to some of the themes of the movie to dive deeper into the Word of God and truths that we find in God's Word. At LifePoint, we value the Bible. We hear it all the time because the Bible is our guidebook for living. The Bible is the place that we turn to for the answers that we seek. And so we have been looking at some truths that are found in the Word of God, and my hope is that you will have been enriched in the series that we have been in. The first week of this series at the movies, we looked at the Black Panther. And in that movie, they had this precious metal called vibranium. And they had to make a decision what to do with this great resource. Do they hide it? Do they hurt it? Or do they share it with the world? And we talked about we have the most valuable resource, which is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Do we hide it? Do we hurt it? Or do we share it with the world? Last week, week number two, we talked through the backdrop of Incredibles 2, and we talked about the subject of parenting, that parenting is perhaps the most heroic act that we can do, and we gave out marbles if you were here last week, and we had an illustration that says, don't lose your marbles, and that represented the time that we have investing in this next generation as parents, grandparents, and those who have children under their care. I would encourage you, if you've not already done so, go online, listen to those, and my hope is it will help you in your faith journey. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you from the backdrop of the show, The Greatest Showman. The movie, The Greatest Showman, is an original musical that is uh, the life and the upbringing of P.T. Barnum of the famed Barnum and Bailey Circus. We get a life glimpse into the life of this showman. Here's a man who was born in poverty, the son of a tailor. During his life, he had a lot of things that he had to deal with. He had to deal with the death of his father, disapproval from his father-in-law, and he had to deal with how in the world would he provide for his family. But he's determined to provide for his loved ones, and he is determined to prove himself not only to his loved ones, but to the world. So he begins to think outside of the box. After being laid off from his job, Barnum opens up a museum. But it's not just any museum. It's a museum that celebrates all things odd. For example, some of the odd things that he puts on display is a bearded lady. Another thing is a brother and sister trapeze duo. And then he has a grown man that is only just a few feet tall. This is the start of the circus. A lot of people are not excited in the movie about the start of this circus. They see it as nothing more than a freak show. Some of Barnum's critics 
begin to say that this is nothing more than a freak show, but Barnum models unconditional acceptance for those that he hires in the show, some who have even been rejected by their own family. He accepts them despite their differences, and he tells them that even though the world may never stop judging you, you are part of the family. And so he hires all different shapes and sizes, classes and races, and kind of a celebration of humanity. You can kind of see the clip here to see the basis of what this movie is all about. Throughout the movie, there is a number of different themes that we could use as a backdrop to uh, some biblical truth. But perhaps one of the most prevalent themes throughout the movie is themes around identity. We see it in P.T. Barnum's life himself. After the loss of his job, he has all these insecurities that he deals with. He wonders, will his life even matter? He has identity issues. We see it in the characters that he casts to be part of his circus, part of the show. We could say that they are certainly a peculiar group of people. Perhaps we see at most these identity issues in the song that has become popular because of this movie, because of this musical. It's a song by the name of This Is Me. It's a very popular song that was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song, and it actually won in that category a Golden Globe. Some of the truths that are proclaimed within this song sound something like this. Here's some of the words of the song. It says, look out because here I come and I am marching to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be me. I make no apologies because this is me. Another part of the song says, I am brave. I am bruised. I am who I am meant to be. This is me. Another phrase from the song, I won't let them beat me down to dust. I know that there's a place for us, for we are glorious. This is me. And finally, it says, and I know that I deserve your love because there is nothing that I am not worthy of. This is me. 
These kind of thoughts are prevalent in the world in which we live today. About me, about me, this is me. We hear it a little different than the words of the psalm, but we hear it all the time. We're told things like this in our society. Whatever makes you happy, it's all about you. To each his own. Perhaps you've heard this. Oh, you be you and you express your truth. Express your true self. On the surface, these thoughts are somewhat admirable and even some way they seem to be desirable. But they are some things that have potential undertones that should cause pause for those of us who are Christ followers. See, no matter what the world tells you, and I'm not talking about your size or your looks. I am talking about when you say, oh, it's all about me. No matter what the the world tells you, we need to understand this foundational truth in your notes today. Here's the foundational truth. The gospel of Jesus... It's not about you finding and expressing yourself, but finding Christ and expressing his glory. See, there is this popular thought that we are to find our true self. It's something that we are to take a look at in the flesh. But we need to take a fresh look at this thought and say, is this truly all that there is for a Christ follower? When we find ourselves, when we truly find our true selves, when we look in the mirror of life, we may not like what we see looking back at us. Understand, in Ephesians 2 and 1, it tells us that it's not all just about you and about me. I want us to explore some of the passage here in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1. It says this, you, and by the way, that's me too, you and I. We're dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. In other words, the way the world lives, it's all about trespasses and sin and flesh, and this is what makes me happy. This is my own way. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sin, following the course of the world, following the prince of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all, the word all there, that's you, that's me. We all once lived in the passions of the flesh. In other words, whatever makes me feel good. Sins and trespasses of the flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And thereby we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Wow, that's a different picture, right? This is me, and this is you. The Bible says in and of ourselves that we are dead in our trespasses. We are dead in sin. Romans 3 and 23 says it like this. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. Here, you want to write this down because this is going to make you a biblical scholar, and you could share this at work tomorrow. That word all there, you see it there? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what that word in Greek means? It means all. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It means you. It means me. We may look all nice and dressed up today and ready for church. But the truth of the matter is we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 goes on to tell us that the wages of those sins are death, separation from God. We are all sinners. 
When I look at the mirror and begin to see me, I might not like what I see. Ephesians 2 says, you are dead in your trespass and sin. Walk in the ways of the world. This is me. It goes on in verse 4. And this is perhaps some of the best words in all of the Bible. It says, you were dead in your trespass and sin, but God, but God. And it goes on and says, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he has loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with Christ and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age, he might show forth the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. He said, this is me. What you look at and what you see is brokenness, sin, depravity. He says, but it is not, it's by grace you have been saved, and this is not of your own doing. It is the free gift of God. You see it in Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal salvation and life through Christ our Lord. Wow. Do you see the truth there? This is me. The gospel of Jesus is not about you finding and expressing yourself, but finding Christ and expressing his glory. The gospel, the good news. It's not about who we are. It's about whose we are. Can I ask you a question? Who do you belong to? When you know not only who you are, but whose you are, it changes everything. And today before this service, man, this morning, we already had some folks that said, man, I want to step across that line. I want to accept the Lord as my Savior. It's not about me. In all that I've ever tried to do, I could never earn salvation. But he says there is a free gift that Jesus that died on the cross, never having sinned, God in the flesh comes and says, I am drawing you today. The Bible says it's really easy as ABC. I say this all the time, admitting, God, I can't do it. When I look in the mirror, I don't like what I see. I'm stuck in my trespasses and sin. Believing that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that came to this earth and died on the cross, taking our sins, even though he had no sin, and confessing him as Lord, saying, God, I give you the keys of my life. And before the service is out, some other folks today are going to say, I want to be in that family. Guess what? The family of God is all about finding him and expressing his glory. Another truth in your notes, you see, Christ followers, when we become part of that family of God, when we say, God, I give you my life, we are called peculiar people. I want you to admit it. Just like some of the peculiar people in the greatest showman, you and I, if we are Christ followers, are peculiar people. We tend to be a little bit different. I want you to turn over with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. In the King James Version, this is what it says. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. According to this verse, Christ followers are peculiar people. Let me have a question for you. Have you ever met some peculiar Christ followers? Some Christ followers that maybe are a little weird, if you will. 
Is anybody sitting beside some peculiar Christ followers today? When we think of the word peculiar, we think of kind of weird, odd, different. But that's not what this verse is all about. If you look back at the original Greek, this word peculiar, a better definition is belonging exclusively to. We are a people belonging exclusively to God. The way we see this in other translations of the Bible helps us to see that more clearly. ESV version says, a people of his own possession. New King James version said, his own special people. That's my favorite. The NIV version says, a people belonging to God. Not that we're weird, although we may be seen as weird, but that we are a people who belong to God. This is so countercultural. Different than what the world would say. The world would say, it's all about you. Live your own life. Express your own truth. He says, no, it's about being a people that are God's own possession. It's not no longer about me. This is me. But it's about knowing Christ and expressing his glory. We are to be a called out, peculiar, God's possession people. So if we belong to him, we must walk in this truth. And here's the truth. If we are called out by him, if we are his people, you must take your cue from the one who made you. I was so proud of that. It rhymed. Are you excited about that? Excited about that. If we belong to him, we are to take our cue from the one who created you. In this movie series, we've looked at three different movies, three drastically different types of movies. They had a lot of differences, but they all had a couple of things in common. Each and every one of these movies had a producer, and they had a director. They had a producer and a director, someone who directed the thing that had been previously drafted. Somebody had drafted what the movie was going to be all about, and then they directed the actors how to act this movie out. Most of the times, actors are not also directors. They simply looked at the script, they follow the cue cards, and say, lead me in the way that I am to act this out. They see the scenes that have already been drafted, and they live it out as they have been directed. There's a lot of freedom in that. As Christ followers, we don't have to have this life all figured out because we didn't write our beginning from our end. We just have to look at the cue cards. And say, God, in your word, would you guide me? Would you lead me by your spirit? In this, in our marriages, in raising kids, in our careers, we don't have to have it all figured out. He is the one that already knows our beginning from our end. We just need to take our cue from the one who created you. God, would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would your word be my light and on my lamp? Take your cue from the one who created you. He knows your beginning from your end. He wrote the story. He drafted it. Jeremiah 29, 11 is for the children of Israel, but I believe it's still true for you and for me. He says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. And they're good plans, by the way. Plans to prosper and to not harm a hope and a future. He says, I know the plans. Why does he know the plans? He wrote the plans. He was the one that drafted this show called life for you. Question is, are you taking 
your cue from the one who created you? Are you looking at the cue card? Are you looking at his word for guidance? So, we've learned so far the gospel of Jesus is not about you finding and expressing yourself, but finding Christ and expressing his glory. We've learned that we are a peculiar people, that we are his possession. What does the Bible then say about us if we are his possession? I want you to look again at 2 Peter chapter 2. And as I do, I want you to look through the lens of this is me. If I am in Christ, this is what he says about you and about me. If I'm not in Christ, this is what could be said about me. Listen to what he says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, again, a peculiar people, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And it goes on. What are some of the things it says about those of us who are Christ's followers? It says, if you are his own possession, you are chosen. I love that word. You are chosen. In the ESV translation, it says you're a chosen race. In the KJV, the King James Version, it says you are a chosen generation. When you hear the words you are chosen race, when you hear the words you are chosen generation, you think of people who are the same ethnicity or the same age range, but that's not what it's talking about here. We have something in common more than that, and that is that we have been chosen. Chosen by God? Chosen for God. I wish you could just see the beauty of that. You have been chosen by God and for God. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel, and even today, they were considered God's chosen people. God spoke to Abraham and he said, I am calling you out. You are a peculiar people. You are set apart. You are my chosen people. I am going to give you a nation, Abraham. In the New Testament, Ephesians 1 and 4 tells us God chose us before the foundations of the world, that he loved us. John 15, 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Wow, he chose you, he chose me. If I was him, I probably wouldn't have chosen me. I'd still be sitting on the bench. But he chose us. He sends his son for our sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He chooses to love us and he gives us a choice to become the sons and daughters of the Most High. The question is, what do you do with that choice? Can I tell you, I've just felt so prompted when I was writing this message today that somebody in this place is dealing with depression. Can I give you a secret? You are chosen and you are loved. Somebody else in this place is overwhelmed with some issues. Remember, hey, you're chosen and you are loved. There's a a single struggling mother in this place and you're wondering how is this going to happen? There's the world's caving in. You are chosen. You are loved. You fill in the blank. Whatever it is, the world is caving in. You are chosen. You are loved from the foundations of the earth. He knew your need, and he chose you. 
I know that most people in this room know this feeling. I know. I just absolutely hate it when I was a kid, even though I was awesome at sports. Not really sometimes. Depend on what sport. But I hated the playground pick. You know what I'm talking about? They line everybody up, and there's two team captains, and they begin to pick. I want you first, and I want you first. Everybody hated that moment. It didn't matter how good of an athlete you were. You did not want to be picked last. You wanted to be picked first. Can I tell you that when God, I don't know how he does it, but he loves us all equally. He is no respecter of people. And the Bible says you are his first round draft pick. That when he looked down in the ages of time, he chose you. He loved you. He picked you. What a beautiful illustration. We are God's chosen people. He says you are a chosen generation. He goes on, he says, you are a royal priesthood. If you are in Christ, you are a royal priesthood. What do we do as priests? The Old Testament priests were mediators between God and between Israel. In the New Testament, we have access to God's presence because of Jesus, and we can go into his throne room. In the Old Testament, priests would perform uh, animal sacrifice to appease the Lord. In the New Testament, Jesus has performed the final sacrifice by dying on the cross for our sin. No longer need for that because he was the blood of the lamb that was slain for us. But now, we as Christ followers, and it's a kingdom of priests, the Bible says, we are able to do a sacrifice of sorts. The Bible says we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. It's a spiritual act of worship. Your priesthood. Another thing it says here is you are a holy nation. Israel in Exodus 19 and 6 was called a holy nation. A holy nation. The word holy here is separate or set apart. In 1 Peter chapter 2 that we're looking for, it goes on to say, because we are called out of darkness into his marvelous light, we are to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war and wage against our soul because we're set apart, because we're peculiar, because we are his possession. Listen, I don't care what the world tells you. The Bible still is declaring to us that if he has called us out of darkness, that we are to walk in his light and in his truth. This is me. Oh, I'm just whoever I'll... No, there is some absolute truth that's still absolutely true that God has called us not to just live our own truth, but to find Christ and express His glory. A holy nation. Verse 19 and 20 of 1 Corinthians 6 says it this way. Or do you not know that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you from whom you have... You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, the price of Jesus. So, because you were bought with a price, glorify God in your body. Let me just express this. I felt that I need to tell somebody this today as I was writing this message. Happiness will not ever be found without holiness. I'm not talking about a holiness that is self-righteousness. Your self-righteousness is filthy rags in comparison to God's holiness. I am talking about right standing with God, under the covering of God, through the Son Jesus, that causes us to have a desire for right living. If you are a Christ follower, life point, I don't care how, you're going to hear this from me from here on out. As we continue to expand, God has still called us to be a people who are called out and set apart and holy and walk. We shouldn't be able to do the same things we used to do. The Bible says the old is gone, and behold, we, all things are made new. 
Next week when we do baptism, that's a symbol of what it's all about. When we go under that water, we're telling the world it's nothing about the water that saves us, but God has saved us and the old man has passed away and behold, all things come new. How do I walk in right standing? God, I love you and I fall in love with you so much that I don't want to live in a way that would dishonor you. And we fall in love with Jesus and we become to be more and more like him. He has called us to be a holy nation, not in our own righteousness, but in right standing with him that causes us to desire to walk in right living. And everybody who believes that, at least three say amen. amen. He goes on, he says, you're his possession. We've already talked about that, a peculiar people. Real quickly, I want you to see that he has also said that you are called out. 1 Peter 2 and 9, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Before you were saved, you were walking in darkness. But he called you out of darkness. And somebody in this room, he's calling you out. You say, oh, this is me. This is my identity. I'm stuck in this sin. I'm stuck in this shame. But he is calling you out of darkness. The greatest showman is calling you out. He's drafted you. He's drafted your life. Will you let him direct your life? When I was a kid, I was pretty uh, good at this game. I've told you this story before, but we would have some epic hide-and-seek games when I was a kid. Anybody used to play some hide-and-seek back in the day, back in the day? Well, man, we had eight of us in our household, and then always somebody else was there as well. Uh, there were six of us kids, my mom and dad. And we used to play some pretty crazy games of hide-and-seek. I remember one time we were playing hide-and-seek. My dad took it so seriously. He had been working on a pickup truck in front of our yard there, and uh, we're doing our counting, count one to 100 or whatever. Next thing we know, we start looking for dad, looking, looking, looking. Finally, we had to give up and say, Dad, where are you? He had gotten down into the engine compartment of the truck and wrapped himself around the engine and had somebody shut the hood on top of him because he wanted to be the winner of that game. We had some epic hide-and-seek games. Well, I've shared this with you before, but one game in particular I remember uh, very clearly. I was very young, maybe even six or seven at the time. I don't remember. But uh, we were out in the deep east Texas, I mean, where you don't see any traffic lights, it's dark outside, there's pine trees everywhere, and uh, you can see nothing but stars above you. And we were in deep east Texas with a bunch of our family, and we decided we were going to have a hide-and-seek game. And boy, it was a good game. And I was young, but I said, I'm going to win this game. And I went and I climbed up in a tree. I hid just in a certain way, and everybody started to be found by the seekers. One by one, they gave themselves up and they went back into the house where it was all lit up and everything was safe until finally I was the only one still there. And at a young age, I was hiding and having fun with it. I would do what you call throwing your voice. If you're ever in the country, you know what I'm talking about. You would throw your voice. You would do your hands like this and it would sound like you were over there. I'm over here. And they would go there and here and there. And they couldn't find me until finally they called out to me in the darkness and said, listen, we're tired of it. We're going back in the house. You're going to be left all alone. Can I tell you, I came out of darkness into <laughs> the marvelous light. I mean, I'm country, but don't leave me outside at the age of six or seven all by myself. I went to the safety of the house to the light. Some of us are in hiding, 
hiding of sin, hiding of shame, hiding of addictions, hiding of issues that we're trying to carry on our own, that relationship that we're trying to fix. And God is saying, you don't have to do it on your own. I'm calling you out of that into. Sometimes we focus on the out of, well, I've got to leave this and leave that. I don't want to be a Christ follower because that doesn't sound any fun. But can I tell you, he says, I am calling you out. But we forget that he didn't end the verse there. He says, I'm calling you out of darkness, but into the marvelous light. If you only knew what he was calling you in to. A life without shame, a life without just knowing, not that it's always going to be perfect, but God, I am not walking in darkness. I'm not doing it on my own. I'm not just looking to find my true self. When I look in the mirror, I am in trespasses and sin, but God, I submit my life to you. And in doing so, I come out of darkness, but guess what? I go into his marvelous calling you out. Someone's in hiding. He's calling you out of shame, despair. Maybe for you it's self-reliance. Not only out of something, but into something. Can I tell you, it will change the way I see me. I'll look in the mirror and I'll still see that, hey, I'm broken, but I'm also blessed. I'm a sinner but now I'm saved. I had shame, but now I'm free. I had sorrow, but now I can have joy. Joy is, by the way, different. Somebody needs to understand this. It's different than happiness. Happiness is about your happenings. When you come to Christ, I can't guarantee you that your happenings will change, but you can have joy in the midst of your happening. And you say, listen, I'm called out into your marvelous light. One last truth, and I'll just real briefly talk about this one, but you can look at this, that is found in 1 Peter 2 and 9. Not only are you called out, you are commissioned. He says, I called you out of darkness into the marvelous life to proclaim the excellencies, proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. This morning, I want us to wrap up this series with some self-reflection. Let's look in the mirror for a moment. This is me. And instead of celebrating just me, say, God, I want to see you in me. The greatest showman of all, he scripted a story for you. He has drafted and he desires to direct your path. He has a story that he's written for you specifically. He wants to cast you in the leading role going to let him direct you in the way that he has drafted your life. Will you begin to take the cue from the one who created you? Heads bowed and eyes closed all over this place. I want us to begin to examine and say, God, how would this message speak to us? It's not just about a movie. It's about some very strong truths of God's word. And right now, God, would you begin to examine my heart Would you begin to call out some stuff? Would you begin to highlight some areas where I've been doing it on my own, but I need to begin to take the cue from the one who created me? Holy Spirit, would you begin to speak? I think I've shared what you would have me to share today. But now, would you do what only you can do by your spirit? We are people who believe that your spirit still speaks to us. 
Would you begin to speak to our hearts and our lives? I've spoken to this congregation, but you're speaking to us as individuals now. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Somebody needs to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've been doing it on your own. You want to admit that I need you, Jesus. I've been running. I've never known you. I believe that you are the Son of the living God. God in the flesh, never having sinned, died on the cross to take my sins. And I want to confess you as my Lord. Just a moment, I'm going to pray for you. And if that's you, man, it's, this is time to start that journey with Jesus. Somebody else in this room, it's not that you're not a Christ follower. You are. But you've been directing some of your own affairs lately. God, I can do this on my own. This relational issue, this sin issue I've been trying to carry on my own. Maybe you're stuck in the darkness of shame. Maybe for you, it's some other issue that you say, God, you're just highlighting and you're just speaking to my spirit. God, I want to admit to you that I need to correct course. I need to take my cue from you. I need to direct, be directed by you. It's not your own righteousness, but it's our submission to him and saying, God, I need you today. If that's you, I want you to begin to confess that to the Lord. The Bible says when we confess our sins, when we confess our shortcomings, he's faithful and he's just. He'll forgive us right now. He'll begin to work on our hearts. All over this place, however you need to pray, would you begin to respond? Dear Heavenly Father, not even asking for uplifted hands because in this solemn moment, I just want some people to pay close attention to you. And as I'm praying, there's somebody who it needs to accept you as Lord. Right now, they're going to pray their own prayer and they're going to say, God, this is where I'm at. This is the truth and my reality of where I find myself. I don't like what I see in the mirror. I need you to come in and make me new in you. I know I'm not worthy, but you love me so much that you chose me. God, right now, I accept you. If that's you, begin to tell him, God, come into my heart. I admit, I believe, and I confess you as Lord. God, I pray over others in this room. They are already Christ followers. But you prompted something in their spirit about this message today. God, we're going to confess it. Begin to talk to him right now. Tell him what's going on. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I've been doing it in my own strength. God, I confess that I've been directing my own affairs. God, I confess in my life I have not walked in the fullness of what it means to be a chosen and holy and a set-apart people. And God, I confess that right now. God, I confess that if I'll turn over the keys fully that you'll direct me in the way that you have drafted the story. I repent. I ask you to set and correct course in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.